It is upper room for the month of September. Can you believe it's September? Anyway, I'm starting to see Halloween decorations. Have anybody spinning in store? We were in Costco a couple weeks ago, and I saw Christmas stuff. No joke. It is out there. It is just like it's happening. People don't even remember who the pilgrims were anymore. They're just gone. It is just Christmas. So uh, this is upper room, as you can tell by the table in front of us. Remember, our upper room is just a word that we use for our communion service, the time in which we remember Christ with the bread and the cup. Uh, we don't have Sunday school as we would normally have it during upper rooms because we want the kids to be, one, involved in the service. We want them to understand the bread and the cup. And we want them to be able to participate in the bread and the cup. So we, what we ask and what we say here at Faith Fellowship Church, parents, you know your kids. If your parents have made that commitment to Jesus Christ, they are free to take the bread and the cup. And if you're not even a member here at Faith Fellowship Church, you are welcome because if you are a part of the body of Christ, the church of Christ, if you believe in all he has done for you, you are welcome as well uh, to participate uh, in the bread and the cup. And as well, we, we still have the individual things at the seats uh, they might be getting a little more sparse, but I think when I, as I look, I still see a lot of chairs with them. So if you're more comfortable still with the elements not being passed around, uh, you can use those in front of you also. I think that covers all that we have for us this morning. So with that, I would like to invite the kids up on the stage. There's not that many here today, so we'll see what we get. If we don't get very many, I will just call adults on stage. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I know I, I mentioned that and you're all like, whoa, no thanks. I am not going to broadcast. We got some coming up. There we go. I can always count on. Yes, always count on that. There we go. Oh, we got some more. Here we go. Oh, she's getting us next to Kenzie. There you go. We got it. All of Kenzie's pals. She's like, where's all my pals that come with me? All right. Awesome. So this is kind of good. We got kind of a new crowd up here because I'm going to be doing, oh, yeah, pull up a chair anywhere. Pull up a seat. You can sit. Sit right here. Or you can sit over here. Or sit right over here. Look, this, this is the singing lady. She's, you're comfortable with her. There you go. There you go. Oh, there you go. All right. Oh, oh yes. He's skewing. Give a little more space when the girl sat next to him there. All right. All right. This is great because I'm actually doing something I've done before, but it's actually a different crowd. I'm going to do actually, I thought of a different little twist I'm going to do for it as well. So let me ask you kids something. You guys might not know a lot about this, but do you guys know what it means to trust somebody? Oh, what, what does it mean when you trust somebody? They forgive, okay, okay, that's a good idea. What else? Someone else, what does it mean when you trust somebody? Luke. Not yet? You forget? Okay, it's quite all right. Do you trust, oh, well, yes, you trust somebody? Then, then um, um, 
All right, you just want to you want to take the podium and take the rest of the time. All right, excellent answer, excellent answer. How many along with that would you trust your parents? <laughs> Do you trust your parents? Yes. Kenzie has to raise her hand because one of her parents is on stage. So she has no choice even if she didn't. All right. I am going to test your level of trust. You guys good with that? All right. So let's break this into groups. Have you three. You guys, you guys come here. Come here. Trust me. Come here, you three, come here. You're going to stand right here. You're going to stand. They're like, we just want the candy. We don't want to do anything else. All right. So let's bring you guys. Come over here. You can do whatever you want, Jess. Singing lady. I called you the singing lady. Hey, singing lady. I don't know why. Marley, over here. Over here. This way you're closer so your family can see. There you go. All right. And you guys, and you guys come to the middle. You come stand right here. A little bit. All right. Actually, you guys can go down a step so people can see you better. So you go down one step. So let me ask you, what is inside of this bag? Water. I'm going to walk on it. No, I, that's that bad. That's bad. Bad joke. Bad. What is in there? Water. Okay. Now, what were to happen if I were to poke a hole in this? Water would come shooting out. What if I held it over your head and poked water? I see. I told you I was repeating something, but don't worry. There's a little twist. But right? If I, you know what's going to happen? You, I know. All right. So here's what I'm going to have. We're going to take our. I'm going to go to each group, and I'm going to hold this over your head. And I have a little pencil here. Do you trust me? <laughs> he said, you don't want to get wet, though? All right, well, I hope you trust me. All right, which group should I do first? You, uh, you don't want your head poured on? Well, let's see what happens. Jess is like, I regret coming up. All right. I had done this before. And it did work. I can't always guarantee. Kind of like the sound. You can't guarantee it's always going to work. All right. In a way, I kind of hope this doesn't work, but we'll see what happens. All right. So here we go. Ready? Oh. Did you get wet? <laughs> she didn't get wet. All right. Now, let's do something a little different. Hey, Luke, come over here. <laughs> Here's the pencil. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you trust Luke as much as you trust me? Oh, I'm getting it. He's ready to go for it. He said, they say no. Okay. All right, well, look, you can come on back to your side. I'm throwing a little bit. So maybe there's a trust and maybe there's not some trust. All right, 
All right, you three, stand over here. Do you trust me? You too. Oh, I feel bad if this goes terrible. But it's, it's not. We've already seen it. Ready? Now, what if I take this out? <laughs> all the, that guy, was, they were all like, whoa, 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 whoa. All right. Now, Kenzie, come here. You hold this one. Over here. Over their heads. Do you trust Kenzie? No. <laughs> so there are certain people you might trust more than others in doing this. That's for the sake of everything. Here we go. All right, stand here. Stand here, Kenzie. Stand up here. All right. Come on, you've already seen it happen twice. You're good. Ready? All right, ready? You get further away. How far away are you getting it? All right. You wet? No. All right. Everybody, everybody had a good. Give it up for the kids and their levels of trust. Give it up for, you know, the pencils, for holding the water back. All right, and now the real reason you're all on stage. Come here and partake. Partake in your candies. <laughs> yeah. How much? Uh, you can take two. Take two. <laughs> you have to get into a costume to get this candy. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Help yourself. There you go. Everybody got two. <laughs> well, she's going for the communion. She's going for it. Yeah. Got one. There we go. Oh, you're, you're, you're that way. There you go. All right. So yeah, as I said, I kind of done that one before, but I thought about the interesting twist of having maybe somebody else do the pencils and seeing if they were willing to trust somebody else with the water above their heads. And you could tell immediately there was some level of trust with me, but not some level of trust with others in their lives. And how that plays out in our lives can be a lot of different ways. Sometimes you have people you trust, maybe you have some people you don't trust. And as we look in these parables, remember, we've been studying in our upper room. We've been looking at various parables to see what Jesus is trying to teach to us. Because remember, it, these parables are usually Jesus trying to teach us something in, in a different way. He's trying to teach some spiritual truth to us and in a way to kind of see the people's response. If the people are very genuine in their following of Christ as they get these teachings, they're going to want more. But if they're not really into what Jesus is saying as he's telling these stories, they're going to be like, oh, he's just telling another one of those stories. We don't need to pay attention. Kind of like maybe if I start telling a story during a message, like, ah, I can just tune Seth out at this point and wait till he tunes back in for some other point. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to gauge the interest of those who are listening. So we've been going through quite a bit of parables. 
So I kind of have a list here of things that we have gone through. We've talked about the, the, the parable of the builders. Remember that the sand and the solid, the firm foundation of Christ to build upon. We talked about the workers in the vineyard. All the kids love that one because they got five bucks. And all I do is give them candy uh, for that one. We talked about the prodigal son and God's love. We talked about the, the parable of the sower and our response to, to be that good soil. And then we talked about also the, the narrow door of Jesus being the only way to salvation. And through all this, Christ is teaching us some great truths that we need to learn for us today. And as we turn to Luke 12, we're going to be looking at the parable of the rich fool. So if you want, turn to Luke 12. We're going to be kind of looking at the whole chapter, uh, but I'll read the parable for us in a little bit just after we pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to come and, and fellowship with fellow believers, to encourage each other, to lift each other up. Maybe somebody in this room has, has had a rough week and they needed the encouragement of the church. They needed a time of worship. They needed a time of hearing from your word. Lord, we pray for those and that we would be able to, to come alongside them and help them. Lord, we pray for those who maybe had a good week and they just want to continue in the praise of you, Lord. Lord, we know that we all face various things in this world. Help us to, to seek your kingdom first in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said, I'm going to be reading the parable for us. We're in Luke chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be jumping in at verse 13 for this parable. And it starts like this. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he had thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said this, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for the many years. Relax, eat, drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So this morning, I want us to take kind of a journey through this passage. And I formed this message in a way that I kind of also walk through passages kind of within my own personal studies. I, I like to prepare these the sermons in the same way I would prepare just a, a Bible study, to, to walk through it and, and to see what things we see being taught to us through these scriptures. So as I go through this passage, one of the first things I notice is that in verse 13, we're, all, we're already kind of thrown into a setting. And if you look at that in verse 13, it says, someone in the crowd. So we're jumping into this scenario, we're, we're jumping into this place where this crowd has kind of gathered around Jesus. So we want to kind of figure out, okay, where is this crowd? Where, where does it come from? Where does it begin? And what is happening as Jesus is going through this? So we kind of have to go back. So we go back to the beginning of chapter 12, and we see that the very first verse of chapter 12 says, in the meantime, 
when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. So here we see that the stage is set for this, this setting. It says thousands of, of people are gathering in this place where Jesus is to hear from him. In fact, it says that there were so many, it says that they were trampling one another. There was some eagerness to come in and hear all that Jesus would say to them. So let's find out kind of what he is going to say to this crowd. So as we open up, we look at verses 1 through 3. And in this teaching, we won't read the whole thing. But Jesus is kind of beginning to talk about here the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He's saying, be careful for what you hear from these teachers. It's not all good. Hypocrisy is kind of saying one thing, doing something else. You think you're following the right path, but in a way, it's really maybe a double life. It's a moral kind of inconsistency in your life. You say one thing, but the actions behind what you do are saying something so different. So Jesus is telling him there to, to be careful as he begins this teaching. Be careful of this hypocrisy. Then he moves on in the next section. We'll, we'll look at verses 4 through 7. And Jesus teaches that, you know what? Don't have a fear of those who can kill the body. Instead, be worried about your soul. He, he, he uses strong language. He says, be worried about the one who can cast you into hell. He says, that is the person whose authority you should fear. But he also talks about the love and the care of God, and it's something that we must learn to appreciate with that goodness of God. He, he talks about the, in there the, the life of sparrows, seemingly insignificant birds. And he says, but look, he, he cares for them. He says, don't be afraid of this. And then just before our, our section for today in verses 8 through 12, he teaches about not being afraid to acknowledge Christ before men. He even talks about a future time when they might be anxious or worry about what they say to the authorities. And he says, look, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say as you stand before men. All this leading into this question and this parable as he lays this out. So he lays out this teaching. He says, don't be a hypocrite. Fear God and understand his love and provision for us. Remember the birds. And then lastly, he says, don't be afraid to live different from the world. Don't be afraid to acknowledge me before men. For the Holy Spirit will give you and provide for you all that you need with your words. So now we come to this question and someone yells out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This tells us something that is happening within this family's life. Clearly, if an inheritance is being spread, that means somebody has died. There was a time of mourning happening for this family. And instead, here he comes before and he is demanding an inheritance be divided. Now, if you remember back to the prodigal of the lost son, this is already laid out in Scripture. The oldest son gets two-thirds. The remaining sons divide the remaining third. So this is likely to be, in my expert opinion, a complaining younger brother. Just saying. Not that there is a younger brother in this room associated with me, but they're never happy with what the older brother has, are they? Come on, where's the older kids, right? Yes. 
That's what's happening here. No, but all this to be said, he's like, look, Lord, divide this up for us. And Jesus kind of just says, you're, you're, this is not, I, I am not some arbitrator for you to decide your inheritance. And as Jesus always does, when questions get asked for him, to him, he, he has the, the deeper issue in mind. So he understands what is really driving this question is, is greed. What is driving this is the idea of coveting. He, he's looking out and he's saying, this, this is wrong. I want more. Jesus, please tell my brother to give me more. And Jesus' response is this in verse 15. He says, and he says to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, the brother's thoughts were, were focused on, on the things of this world, the wealth and the possessions, the money. And Jesus is going to say that's not what's important in life. He uses the words to, to be on guard. And the word translated there is, is the same word that they would use of, of shepherds. That shepherds would be on guard against the wolves that could come in and attack their flock. He tells us there is an enemy out there that you need to be on guard against in this world. And it is one that is seeking the desires of this world. Be on guard that we might not stand and fall against this enemy. And the enemy he mentions there is coveting. This is the big sin of the world desiring more and more and more. Instead of mourning over the loss of likely a father since the inheritance was being divided, all he cares about is, what do I get out of this? And Jesus, I want more. So let's now dive into this parable that he's talking about. This parable now that he's going to use to explain this teachings that he has just had. So he jumps in, and we look at verses 17 and 19. Now, this could be depending upon your translation. I want you to look in there and see how many times the word I or me is used in those verses. Just look over it real quick. Look at it. I've got the scriptures there in front of you. How many times I or me is used? And it's only three verses. It's only three little verses, seemingly insignificant, but I counted as many, almost as six times and five times that you see the words I, my, me through those passages. Over and over and over. All he's doing is acknowledging self. One commentator broke it into four kind of ways, and he says this. He says the man was blessed materially. He had a tremendous blessing but he didn't thank God for his blessings. He says, the man called his fruits, they were my fruits. The fruits of my labor, all that I had done, these are mine. He even calls it his soul. He says, this is my soul. My soul, this is all I have. My soul is glad. And then he kind of becomes puffed up and saying, well, I have big barns. You know what? I need even bigger barns. I need even more storage for all this greatness that I have brought upon myself. The rich man, he thought he had it all. 
And the brother wanted more and more of this inheritance. Coveting is really what it comes down to is greed. Wanting more things that don't belong to you. The Ten Commandments, they forbid it. It's what leads the heart to many sins, such as stealing and even adultery. Because you aren't happy with what you have. You want what others have. If I only had this, I'd be happy. If I only had that person, then I would be happy. See, what Jesus is going to boil down to, it is a defective problem of our hearts. You see, America, we live within this parable. Think about this. Over the last three or four years, maybe just on your drive through Perry Hall or wherever you live, how many storage facilities have you seen built? A lot. A lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. In fact, I found an article as I was kind of researching this idea of storage facilities in America, and it says that last year alone, the storage facility business made $29 billion. That is a lot of junk. I don't know. But that is a lot of things in storage. But Jesus here is challenging us. And he's saying, look, our lives are not based on our possessions. It's not about the wealth of this world that defines us. In this world, we live in a world that says, Live for self, self-indulge, be extravagant in your living. I think verse 19 kind of wraps up our culture in today's world perfectly, where the man says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Just live it up. Take the chill, you got it, you've earned it relax and move on and just enjoy enjoy life. But remember, as we connect this now to what Jesus was telling us earlier, he says, look, don't be a hypocrite. He says, fear God. Understand his love and provision for us. Don't be afraid to live different from the world, even if it rejects you. And now Jesus is going to bring it in this parable, and it's where God speaks. And God says to him, the first word he says to him is, fool. You fool. This night, your soul that you're so in love with is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose? Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus calls the man the fool. Have you ever been called a fool by anybody? Did you feel good when somebody called you a fool? Probably not on the top ten things you want to be called in this life is a fool. But Jesus is saying this rich man was living a foolish life. All he wanted to do was build up a life for him to enjoy. But in reality, his very soul would be called home that day. And what was all those things for? I think this passage kind of connects well with, with what Jim was preaching on last week. We're thinking about the cost of being a disciple. There is a cost to living a life that God calls us to. And as I was going through this, I thought back to the very quote he used from Jim Elliot. 
And it said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose. And somebody kind of summed up, this guy Tim Chester summed up Jim Elliott in that quote saying this. He said, Jim Elliott had seen through the lie of consumerism. He had seen the emptiness of all this world offers. He had realized the far greater value of the new creation that God promises. See, when we look past this world and we stop chasing after what this world wants us to have, and we find what I think we're going to see later on is contentment in life and being happy where God has placed you. See, in Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end is the way to death. There is a way that we think we follow this, and and this is tough. This is living in a world that wants us to be better and better, to seek it, to find it, to get it. Live your best life now. This is all that matters. Coveting is the enemy that we faced within this passage. I won't be happy again unless this. If I could just hit the lottery, then my life would be easy peasy. I don't know, if you research some lottery winners, they don't always live the most happiest of life. I want to show you a picture here of that demonstrates kind of too much of a good thing isn't always a good thing. And it's a picture of our lawn. And you'll see this. There is some green grass there, right? But what do you notice going right through the green grass? I don't even think Christy has seen this, but there is what going through the middle of that green grass? A little trail, a little brown trail of dead grass. Well, let's, let me tell you what happened. So I was out there doing our, our lawn fertilizing. We, had, we got this liquid fertilizer. You know, you connect to the hose and you just kind of spread it over your grass. And when I was done, there was only just a little bit of fertilizer left in the bottom of the bag. So my thing, I'm like, oh, it's fertilizer. I'll just dump it out on the grass and it's fine. So... I unhook it, and I just, that is just the pouring out of whatever fertilizer was left in the bag. Come to find out, I guess you can have too much of a good thing, which fertilizer usually helps grass. But in this case, I guess when it's not diluted through the hose, it actually can kill your grass. So, that's a little, just reminder, it's a spiritual lesson. That's what God has for me. So every time I see that, it is just a spiritual lesson that too much of a good thing is never good. I got another story to share with you. Hey, Kenzie, can I share this? Good, because I'm going to share it anyways. All right. Everybody loves a wedding, right? Okay, I guess not. Nobody enjoys weddings here, but weddings are a great time of celebration, right? All the married people are like, uh... Married time is a great celebration, right? Everybody enjoys a wedding reception, dancing. All right, live it up. You guys can clap in church. I know I'm not Ron, but you can clap in church. All right. So here we go. This reception was Christie's cousin was getting married, and uh, the woman that he was marrying loved snacks and candy and ice cream and all these things, and it was quite the show before us. It was amazing. All the snacks and cotton candy, I think, that kids could enjoy. Right, Ken's? Yes. He's like, I'm going to hate this. So, we also 
she also learned a drink she could fall in love with of Shirley Temples. So she probably had, what, six or eight Shirley Temples, endless supply of snacks and celebrating through all the goodness that all the kids enjoy. Until we go to her grand, Christie's grandmother's house a few hours later and we settle in for bed and all is quiet until Kenzie awakens and all this goodness that she had enjoyed decided, I won't go into too many details, but it was time for it to no longer be enjoyed. Is that enough to say? It is. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And to this day, this was many years ago, Kenzie will still remember, and it is a lesson engraved in her mind. If you try to give her too much, she's like, nope, I know what happens. She learned from all this. So when we go through this and we think, eat, drink, and be merry, and be happy with life, Kenzie herself would even say, nope, don't chase after it. It is not good. It is not the good life that you've been promised. So I think as we look at this, we realize what Jesus has been telling us. But then there's a question that raises, right? But Jesus, I need to survive. I need to live. And Jesus says this in verse 22, and he says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body or what you put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So as we go through this and we think about this, we think about, all right, we need to survive. We need to go after these things. But in the end, what is important in life? What's important in life is that we know God will provide the necessities that we need. So that we don't chase after the riches, we don't need those riches, but we also need to live in this world. And we say, God's got this. So as you go through a struggle in your family, as you go through a hard time, you say, God's got this. I've seen the way God can provide, and I'm not going to worry about this anymore in my life. We're going to look and we're going to see as this continues. Look in verse 24. He talks about the most holy of all animals. Theron gives me an amen. The ravens. Say it with me, Tamson. The ravens. In verse 24. There it is in Scripture itself calling out. And it says, look at the birds. He says they don't have storehouses or barns. He says, but God provides. He says, look at the flowers. He says, God provides for them. He says, aren't you more than those things? Why are you worrying in this world when you have a God who loves and cares for us? The rich man was chasing after the things and it would cause anxiety. Chasing after more and more. The brother probably had anxiety. I want, I want, I want, I need. But through this, God says, look, look to me. Look to me through your struggles. Look to me through your worry. Look to me through your anxiety. And I have your back. And then look at verse 31 as he wraps this up. He says, instead, instead of seeking the things of the world, he says, seek instead his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. He says, seek first what I have for you. 
Then he skips down and he says to verse 34, he says, this is where I think everything comes together. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the challenge for us. If your treasure is the things of the world, where is your treasure to chase after the things that God has for you? That is what we want in this life. And as we begin to look towards communion, I looked and I thought about the words of Paul to 1 Timothy, and I thought it summed up this teaching perfectly. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, it says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these two, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is a way through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Skipping then down to verse 11, it says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, steadfastness, and gentleness. Then in verse 17, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set up their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, be ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life of living that true life. As you think about that true life, we see this table that is laid before us. You know, Jesus in that past has told us to consider the birds and the flowers. But God didn't send His Son to die for birds and flowers. He sent His Son to die for us on a cross. It is His body which was broken and His blood which was spilled on that cross. Jesus says, don't worry about the things of this world. Those things are passing away. But my love for you, what I showed for you on that cross, will never perish. Jesus lived the perfect life that we can't live. He took on the punishment on that cross, and that is what we remember. I want to call the ushers forward as we prepare to remember Christ. As we remember His sacrifice. You know, we're called as we approach this table to remember and confess the sin that is in our lives. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are reminded that we need to confess those sins before Christ. So as before we approach this table, I'd ask that you would pray to your loving Father and confess any sins that's in your life.